Mo Foster that we mentioned and revered. Uh, we said great, great bass player, etc. Uh, not knowing that uh, he would pass away very short thereafter. So uh, now this uh, series will be a dedication to um, not only Martin Birch's legacy and memory, but also Mo Foster's. One of the more important things in shaping the way I hear bass guitars, and even uh, if, if there were like 10 or 20 key moments of me hearing bass in different capacities. Mo Foster played on the first Michael Schenke group album. There's a, a fretless bass played on a track called Lost Horizons. It's like a solo, a uh, bass solo. So I heard it when I was nine, ten or something. And it just made me go, what is that sound? That sounds really, really cool. Foster, uh, rest in peace, of course, and uh, he was actually on uh, uh, our network friends in Deep Purple podcast a while back. Okay. He had uh, gone through the trouble of uh, listening to some of their stuff, and then he came across a nickname they gave him when they, for some reason, you know, on a tangent or something, they gave like gangster nicknames, and he <laughs> was named Sausage Fingers, Mo uh, Sausage Fingers Foster. And he came on saying, like, I've been called many things, but never Sausage Fingers. <laughs> So obviously a pretty cool guy. Since we recorded this, actually, very recently, unfortunately, there's been another death in the extended Martin Birch associate family in Bernie Marsden. So obviously, the series is now dedicated to the memory of Martin Birch, Mo Foster, and Bernie Marsden. Maybe we didn't clarify that properly in the first episodes, but uh, production is something that is kind of more overhauling and it has to do with uh, everything from really from composition to budget can be. Can be. He's not doing budget, I'm sure. No. But it can be included in the production role, whereas engineer is straightforward, maybe what most people think a producer is doing. Yeah. The knob twiddling. But, I mean, being a producer, you have to make things happen. Make things happen. Yeah. Solve issues, maybe. Yeah. Even social issues within the band. Of course, be yeah. a bit of a psychologist, yeah. talking to band members, trying to get their angle, trying to get the best out of their uh, personalities. I don't have any facts on it, but I have a feeling that Martin Birch didn't do that much band politics in Maiden. I think that was maybe more Rod doing that kind of if two members were grinding up on each other maybe he would be the peacemaker and martin birch would just twiddle knobs but i'm not sure uh, 
I th- don't think that, uh, or as far as I know, I would say, uh, Martin were never instrumental in getting a member or getting uh, someone out of the band. Like, And I don't think, w- from my research, that he ever was that kind of producer who would go, I really think you should change the singer you have to get another drummer he wasn't that person working with bands right he really did enjoy the switch of singers in between killers and yeah. the beast but i don't think he suggested it in, in interviews around that time uh, one of the few interviews uh, actually he ever made unfortunately uh, he he said that he knew that steve wanted to make more technical more advanced stuff than what they did on Killers with Paul and he knew that if Steve wants to do that they have to get another guy singing but he wasn't the the one who said to Steve you have to find another singer if you want to do that so in that sense but I mean of course uh, recording history is full of producers being like what would in a no, in a conversation we refer to as a sort of demon producer. Demon producers, yeah, like Phil Spector and that kind of stuff. Uh, he wasn't a, uh, anywhere near that kind of uh, uh, person. He was basically always an engineer, but sometimes with production credits. Yeah. Probably for a good reason. Or maybe he could have, you know, maybe it's the same with him. Uh, we'll get to that. And I think uh, also worth mentioning right now is that he has mixing credits on pretty much everything. 72 and onwards yeah. till he quit uh, the the recording industry uh, he was the mixing engineer too but as we will hear in this very episode mm-hmm. uh, the mixing part for Martin Birch being the engineer and producer wasn't that big of a deal because he had done most of the actual mixing job yeah. recording and that is uh, and correct me if you think I'm out on a limb here, but I would say that back then mixing was a smaller thing than it is today. Because today mixing is a much larger part of creating the music and the album mm-hmm. than it was in uh, 78. Yeah, in a way it's almost full circle because um, like uh, the very elaborate mix, I would say, happened maybe starting in the 80s and the 90s were most extreme i think in terms of mixing a lot of you know small small loops and stuff in in rock music or uh, weird synthesizers in the background and this like uh, what you call bells and whistles and all that kind of stuff pretty dense and uh, multi-layered in the 90s because the computers were good enough for it and then mixing i guess progressively became more and more of a big thing like some a lot of people when i began making music mix was a big talk you know it's like a, oh, a good mix or a bad mix or do you, what do you do for, how do you do your mix and i i agree with you that i think it wasn't as big a deal back then that uh, the production the recording was the deal and then you mix it you adjust the levels yeah but I think now, at least for me, it's become more of that again in terms of uh, I can get pretty much the sounds I want out of the box, outside of the box. And then I'll just adjust the volumes. So I don't really recreate the soundscape as much as I did before. And I think that could be a trend, not only in my studio, but in general. So, um, yeah, I'm getting a little bit back to that again. Uh, but it's good to know, because I didn't know. if I asked a couple of times in the earlier episodes, do, uh, is there mixing credits here? 
So he's been mixing, basically. Yeah. I mean, the very early stuff that he worked as a house engineer on Delaine Lee, he was the engineer. He mm. was the guy that mic'd the amps and put up uh, the microphones around the, yeah. the drum kit and that sort of stuff. And uh, But I, I think knowing how they recorded stuff back then, even though he may not have been the the mix, mixing engineer, uh, the work was already done by the producer and the engineer before mixing. Like I said, you sort of, and I say just quote-unquote, adjusted the levels. Yeah. Yeah, levels, EQ and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But um, okay, that's a bit of the technical stuff and a bit of clarification maybe as to what he was doing all those years. But uh, where are we in the story? Yeah, so last episode we talked about Deep Purple. Uh, we talked about Whitesnake. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, left in that family, the Deep Purple, the extended Deep Purple family mm-hmm. is, of course... Rainbow. Rainbow. And now we're getting into sort of heavy metal territory. Maybe for the first time. Yeah, we are. And uh, do you like Rainbow? I like Rainbow you quite like a bit. Ra- yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was a band that was kind of around since the start. But uh, it's one also one of those classic bands that I got into more uh, in adult age. Mm? What about you? Uh, when I start to find out about hard rock... Uh, and uh, I had an older relative, uh, a brother of my mother, who had a few Deep Purple albums. Mm. So I knew of Deep Purple. Uh, I There was a radio show in Sweden uh, that played a song called Spotlight Kid, I'd like to remember. From uh, one of the JLT brain workers. Yeah. Uh, and the, the album that was out and why they played that song, Spotlight Kid, was that it was this final vinyl, uh, which was a compilation that uh, Martin has recorded and mixed quite a, a few of the tracks. Uh, not Spotlight Kid, though. No, because that was Glover. That's Roger Glover. And uh, I heard this song and thought, I just loved Spotlight Kid. It's a great song. So I, uh, I bought the... Uh, at first, I bought the uh, the maxi single, the twelve inch, mm-hmm. for for that with the bad girl and man on the silver mountain live or a uh, uh, live version. Yeah, probably right. Wow, this has been a long time since I listened to that maxi. Probably a live version. Yeah. Uh, so I discovered about the rainbow and uh, tried to find. At this, uh, I was twelve, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, more of the. Um... I guess typical age, maybe, to yeah. get into... I was a kid. I liked Rainbow much more than I liked Deep Purple at that age. Hand on heart, I think I would say I even like Rainbow more than Deep Purple at this age. Tough call for me. I don't know my opinion, but it, it just feels like that when I say it right now. Did Martin produce the first Rainbow record? He did. Uh, he did it because uh, Richie was still in uh, Deep Purple at the time. And he wanted to record a solo single. A cover, right? A cover. Black Sheep of the Family. Exactly. And that turned into a full-blown album recording. With Elf. With Elf as the backing band. And he uh, recorded the full album still as a member of Deep Purple. It was recorded in uh, Musicland in Munich, Germany. Same as Seventh Son. Hmm? 
and Rising. Things happened pretty quickly. He left the band. The black sheep of the family thing is, is so weird. It's uh, so fun that it kind of, that song broke up Deep Purple. <laughs> and it's a pretty unassuming, odd song that he really wanted to play. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, obviously he wanted out more than likely for other reasons. But the f it's funny how that sort of became the official reason that Richie left Deep Purple. Yeah. That they didn't want to play Black Sheep of the Family. And maybe, uh, like you mentioned previously, that he didn't really like Stormbring was also a part of that yeah. package. Yeah, but maybe he, just, he made his mind up that yeah, like, yeah. Deep Purple is done or something, you know. Yeah. He wanted to to carry on, and uh, yeah, you just said that maybe you like Rainbow more, and maybe yeah. I do too. Yeah. Uh, again, it's a bit hard for me to cross-reference, because um, for me, Deep Purple is um, in no way, shape, or form a metal band. I would say they have, for sure, songs that have a very metal vibe. that 9-8 riff could maybe a bit metal or uh, even Pictures of Home has a bit of the shuffle beat triplet metal thing going on maybe yeah them them eagles and snow yeah. uh, you know uh, but Rainbow is more metal yeah perhaps not the first record but maybe even the first record because that medieval flair is not in the purple and no. medieval is always metal kind of right yeah what do you think I think I agree, actually. And I mean, even the, the what do you say, the the more epic ballads have a sort Catch of... the rainbow. Yeah, has a sort of grandiose, majestic feel, which to me is more metal. Or hard rock, as we say in Swedish. Hard rock, yeah. yeah. Now maybe, I don't know, if we, I think we talked about this when um, our friend John Gaffney visited Sweden, mm. which also happened in between the last recording and today. Yes. Uh, we talked about um, Ennio Morricone and the kind of spaghetti western stuff. I think I may I'm probably mm. mentioned yeah, mention it on the show as well. That uh, for me it's pretty much all metal but um, without distortion. Mm. So that's kind of if, like if you want to uh, look into what I think metal is aside from the gimmicks and um, exterior. It's that kind of um, the heroic melodies and the, the big nature yeah. of it whereas rock and roll maybe is a bit more groove based and a yeah. bit more uh the purple has a pretty big wide sound with a um, slightly orchestrated with um, the hammond and everything mm. but it's not metal not really no 
like you said when we talked about uh, her, uh, the um, one of the first uh, albums that Martin recorded, uh, the uh, then Play On album with uh, Fleetwood Mac, mm-hmm. the Oh Well Part Two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, That's where we. Co- uh, yeah. you mentioned this Sergio Leone, I think you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what do you think? Martin joins Rainbow. Is it because Richie Blackmore has worked with him and he just calls him up? I would say so. Probably yeah, probably that simple, right? Yeah. He has co-credits for producing Richie Blackmore's Rainbow as uh, Richie and uh, uh, Ronnie James Dio, too. Okay. So what what do you think about the first Rainbow album? Is it... We talked a little bit about this now and then. Uh, it's For a while, it was my favorite Rainbow record. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I wouldn't say it's my favorite today, uh, but uh, I think there's some really strong songs in it, and yeah. uh, I think it sounds a lot better than, uh, for example, Elf. Elf is a bit too much boogie-woogie and, st- and stuff mm-hmm. for me with the piano, and... Well, like Temple of the King, beautiful song, mm-hmm. great dynamics. I like him. You said it maybe a bit dull sounding with um, dry seventies type drums. We talked about this before starting recording. That I listened to the album on my way here because I haven't heard it in a while. My impression of the album is that it's a bit dull sounding. I don't talk about the song qualities. I talk purely about the sound, the sonics, the sonics. Yeah, and it's a bit dampened. It's a bit. Well, I can like that sound. Um, maybe, maybe I liked it more before. Do you, do you listen to any of those bands like that has typical seventies sound, like Camel or? I don't listen to it, but I've heard them. Yeah, and do you think that sounds dull too? Then, or because it's a very classic seventies uh, sound. Yeah. That, uh, maybe too dry the drums, but then also a lot of layers and. Uh, it's not like um, if we talk about frequency bandwidth, mm. it's wide and nice. Yeah, it uh, is. Just like yeah. a modern production. It's more of the, um, it's not very wild, no. perhaps. The sound is quite contained. And I, I think my problem listening to it now is, or me formulating what I think the problem is, mm. I would say, is that I think the the drum sound is very... Uh, dead. Co- it's a bit dead, yeah. yeah. And that sort of affects the whole, the whole picture. So, Musicland, Munich. Yes. 1975. 75, yes. We should probably start listening to Black Sheep of the Family, actually, first. Just because it's the whimsical song that broke up Deep Purple, allegedly. I tend to like, have a little bit of a laugh, or at least a chuckle, every time I hear it. Imagine Richard just, you know, saying fuck you to the purple with that. It's Maybe you're reading a bit much into it. Yeah, but it's because it's fun. It's such a weird move. Why was this song important to him? I don't know. It's obviously probably the worst on the record, too. Yeah. It's funny, like, you have a cover on there, which is inferior to all your originals. There are two covers. There's a Still I'm Sad too, which was a... I might be wrong here, because now I'm just guessing, but I think it was a Yardbird song. Still I'm sad it's Yardbird song. And that is much better. And the live version they did is 
amazing. Uh, you have a comment on Black Sheep of the Family, or maybe your own theory about why Richie wanted to do it. Was it just because he he wanted out of Deep Purple, and uh, he kind of saw himself as the Black Sheep of that family? Uh, or is it me just reading in too much to it? It just has nothing to do with anything. But let's just ad- address the... The bull in the china shop. <laughs> the proverbial. <laughs> elephant in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Richie Blackmore is a bit of a puzzle, a mystery. Yeah, some, would, some would say maybe asshole or... Um, exactly. At least eccentric. Yeah. yeah. And the, these are one of the things that uh, Martin Birch, the guy we are here to talk about, later commented on in uh, in this interview I keep referring to all the time from 83 where he said something along the lines that in Maiden when they change personnel when -hmm. they change the singer on the guitar player or whatever when Nico came in sort of instead of Clyburn he said that every time Maiden change someone I know why I can understand why this had to happen or they wanted this quality yeah and he said uh, in this interview that with rainbow i could never figure out it's like okay so you changed the keyboard player why yeah right and uh, it makes no sense like makes no sense it was on a whim goes by vibe and goes by mm. feeling mm-hmm. and i think it probably does and that's probably why i like his playing so much mm-hmm. um, and songwriting but um, i mean like uh, you know me, I, I'm more into drummers than guitarists. Mm. Uh, probably always will be. It's more interesting for me. But if we're on guitarists, we just had our friend Gaffney over. Mm. I did a video with him on Blackmore and we kind of quickly came to the conclusion that he's probably our favorite guitarist. Mm. And of course, there's Uli Roth and there's Michael Schenker and mm. there's... Adrian Smith. Adrian Smith is really, really good too. Mm. Yeah. Um, either way, Richie Blackmore, probably my favorite electric guitar player. Mm. And... Uh, you addressed before, like, is that something that a lot of people just say? Like, oh, Richie. Uh. And I think it is. I think it really is. Like, I think it's, it can be Because I, I tend to call the bluff. Yeah. And say that, don't say Richie Blackmore. You, why? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, hopefully you know that I know what I'm talking about when I say Richie. Because it's uh, also <laughs> like one of those adult age things. Yeah. It wasn't my idol when I was a kid or anything. Oh. Uh, I wonder who my favorite guitarists were back then. I think it was like maybe James Hetfield. I think Tony Iommi. Mm. Tony Iommi was my favorite guitarist mm. uh, when I was when I was young. Mm. I thought it was a cool style, you know. And um, then um, you know Trey Asag thought in Morbid Angel and that kind of stuff. Quite a few of uh, people who have played with Richie keep coming back to that when it comes to the actual music. Writing a song, doing the recording, riches is fine. But when it comes to the dead time, oh, okay. he is just playing tricks, yeah, yeah. mind tricks, extreme tricks, stupid politics, yeah. just being the strange and uncomfortable sort of person. The weirdest one was, which I'm not sure if it's hearsay or if it's real, that when... Um, Whoever arrived last uh, to the lodging, I think, for a pre-production or for an actual album production with Rainbow. I think it was maybe Carrie. Uh, I think it could have been. Uh, he arrived last and uh, apparently Richie had like um, grated the floor 
yeah. underneath his bed. And, yeah. uh, you know, kind of like, you know, maybe remove the floorboards and put a speaker there playing like ghost sounds and then put the floor back on and then playing ghost sounds at night to freak him out, yeah. which uh, worked. But why do you want a freaked out, like sleep deprived keyboard player? Yeah. And then there's that other infamous thing about him apparently like visiting uh, Roger Glover uh, by means of axe yeah. instead of door key. He opened the door by chopping it down with an axe. Yeah. And that's really weird stuff. Yeah. I think it was Doogie White who played on the uh, the Stranger in a Soul album with Rainbow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who said something along, along the line that I was in Rainbow, uh, working with uh, writing songs with uh, Richie was fine. We recorded the album, it was fine. Doing a tour was fine. And then it wasn't fine. Oh, and yeah, he, 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 yeah. Couldn't, he didn't know why. There was no explanation, no reason. Just like, uh, I'm going to change. And this has been a, a pattern, except for Deep Purple, but everything that he has been sort of the boss, yeah. the main man. That's the, that's the way he, he seems to work. That's his main kind of operation is to just do that. Yeah. Keep people on their toes, feeling slightly uncomfortable. And like you say, what's the point in having musicians... People you pay good money to working for you. Why do you want to keep them uncomfortable? It's just some power game. Power game, and I think also he's he himself is probably someone that feels uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I talking about Rainbow, which we are at the moment. Uh, I, I saw this TV interview on YouTube, and uh, Rich is so uncomfortable. Or he's making the uh, the interview oh, yeah, yeah. He's good at very that. uncomfortable, yeah. and Roger Glover is sitting right next to him, and the the face the the facial expression on Roger Glover, while uh, Rich is answering these questions, is like, what is he saying? It's yeah. like he doesn't have a clue what's going on. It's like the the words coming out of his mouth is so outrageous, strange, and just uncomfortable. It's like. What is going on here? And talking about Roger Glover, yeah. I've read in this, I think it was quite recent interview that Richie uh-huh. was the guy who sacked Roger Glover yeah, yeah. out of Deep Purple. Yeah, yeah, and then hired him into yeah. Rainbow. That's yeah. And that's Roger it. said, "I don't know why." <laughs> a lot for both their characters yeah. like Roger Glover's easygoing style yeah. and also how how you know obviously useful he is mm. as a he's a he composes lyrics he composes music he mm. produces he mixes mm. plays the bass yeah. and uh, probably arrives to work on time and then you've got Richie on the other side who's just like uh, yeah I mean those interview antics uh, I, I gotta say I'm, I'm a fan of them I, I find it very fun to just listen it's just like is he making this up on the spot is it uh, an elaborate joke or is he just fucking around mm. uh, maybe a little bit of all of that I think I just assume I have no idea what goes inside the mind of Richard Blackmore but I think he thinks he's funny and he's more funny than Bruce Dickinson <laughs> For sure. He's kind of funny, actually. I think he's kind of funny. I don't remember who he was that, that, that <laughs> said that, like, everyone misunderstands Richie. He's super fun. I don't re- remember who it was. It was uh, some interview I saw with someone, um, a rock star of, of sorts, anyway. But uh, I guess there could be two camps. Is Richie yeah. funny or is he just a raging psychopath, uh, egomaniac or, or something? And uh, maybe it's a mix. Uh, I think um, 
I can't I can't avoid being a Richie Blackmore fan. Like I can't avoid it. Don't avoid it. Embrace it. Yeah, I gotta embrace it. Uh, he's he's pretty cool. <laughs> He's an asshole, but he's pretty cool. And I think, I think I'm going to ask you about this, but I think I've seen what you described, his relationship to the band members, how it just ends. Yeah. I think we've all seen that in, um, in like romantic relationships among friends or perhaps family that someone is just, you know, at some point don't want to be in it anymore. Uh, I've seen it a couple of times at least, and maybe not with that much more reason than it, it's, it's kind of over. So in that way, uh, it's impressive. I'm impressed by um, Candice Knight. Uh, she kept him around mm. all this all this time. Mm. Uh, he seems super comfortable. They're just doing their, you know, Blackmore's Night thing now uh, since ages. Yeah. Way longer than Deep Do Purple. Do you like that stuff? Uh, I don't. No. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I don't like it. No. Uh, I think I've heard a song or two that was fine. Uh, I like the idea of it. Uh, but uh, the music is pretty poor. And uh, if we talk about her vocals, they are so pitch perfect that they sound artificial to me. Let's not talk about it. That was a bit of a rich excursion. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a central player. It here. really is. Martin is a, a, a pro, a likable guy. He knows the psychology of how Richie works. And Richie enjoys working with someone who knows how to work with him. I really like this wah. Yeah, got a filter. You can't almost hear the guitar, you can just hear the It's so clever. I like the singing here. Soft Dio is um, not praised enough. Can't be praised enough. Can't be praised enough, and never has been. Uh, I, um, you know, songs like uh, "Sign of the Southern Cross," which we'll get to. I think it's um, one of the cornerstones in like my music taste. Uh, you can hear it here. This kind of uh, dreamlike sound that I really dig, you know, which is not super common in, in our mid, but it has happened now and then, like a strange world, and a little bit of that. One of the things I like here is the, the Mellotron. Yeah, it's awesome. The Mellotrons tend to be awesome, most of the time. Always. Double-tracked singing. Just talking about you know the sudden death of Deep Purple, he's so much more inspired now here too. And I don't think it's because his name is on the cover. That drum thing, I love. Yeah, I think this is great. This is you know flume, flume music. Absolutely. But still has this sort of majestic uh, quality to it. Yeah. yeah. Your choice cut. Much closer to Deep Purple. And a clavinet. Oh, yeah. It's a strange waltz. Yeah, that's true. In this song, I can hear a bit more of that drum issue that you talked about. But I would have liked the boomier drums here. Yeah. Because Powell would do this better. Yeah. yeah, like the sound of bigger drums in a bigger room. But for, for those softer tunes, I really like this dry 70s sound, you know. 
And I, I always think, when I think about this record, I don't think about Man on the Silver Mountain, I don't think about this, I think about those soft, kind of, uh, yeah, soft, uh, softer, smoother tunes. is way up high in the mix. Ah, nice tops. When you think of it, I mean, this is a song I've heard since I was a kid, but it's it's a really, un, it's an unusual kind of song. So, is Rainbow Rising as good as its legacy says it is? And don't lie to me, because I will... Well, I would never lie to you, first and foremost. But yeah, we talked about this a bit. And uh, uh, let's go in from the sound side, since we're talking Birch here. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, one of his less good-sounding productions, Mm -hmm. album productions. Mm -hmm. Do you think Rising sounds worse than the first one? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but, but that's I have to. That's in Sonics, though. So mm-hmm. I'm not really talking about the aesthetics. The aesthetics, maybe I prefer actually on Rising. I prefer the aesthetics, the style. But if we're talking strictly Sonics, like the overalls, the overall, let's say, let's say the furnishing, the furniture of the record, <laughs> like the Sonic furniture. I think it's uh, a little bit more. Pay attention Spartan. now, dear listener, because yeah. this is deep stuff. Very deep, very deep. <laughs> it's a bit more Spartan. It's a bit more like, um, um, I wouldn't say meager, but a little bit more meager. <laughs> but you won't say meager. No, but I you just think it's a think bit of anything better. <laughs> uh, you know, just a little bit more. Like the first record to me is, is very nicely layered. Yeah. And uh, Rising is, a lot of it is like this mid-range distortion that is not super pleasant to my ears i love the record though i think it's a great sleeve on it too uh, so that also you know that comes to play when it, when when talking about the legendary albums in hard rock heavy metal it has to have a cool sleeve as well that sticks out you know and i think rising has um, that going for it uh, that it has that cool look and it's kind of concise it's six songs on it right out of which maybe three are great and three maybe not so great so yeah. uh, then now we're going you know further from just the sonics that uh, it's not rainbow's best record i would not say no no but okay is it mm. is it great yes it's great mm. is it a legendary record that i would say it is without a doubt because of when it came out, the way it sounds, and the impression it made yeah. on people. Yeah, like talking, um, well, we are on Maiden A to Z. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that's an album oft mentioned by especially Bruce. He mentions Rising all the time. Yeah. Um, and well, to find that kind of Maiden uh, bombasm, extravagant uh, drama of rock, mm-hmm. uh, it's a pretty good source to, mm-hmm. to draw from. Like, um, 
maybe light in the black. Uh, and I hear a lot of Metallica there. Of course, Metallica covered a little like Ronnie Rising medley. Mm-hmm. So maybe that could, you know, um, have some effect on on how I remember things. But I like it's a very rapid mm-hmm. metal-ish riff. Like uh, I could think of maybe Stone Cold Crazy, uh, Queen, uh, Brian May. That's another early thrashy kind of riff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a legendary record. It's it's a pretty um, amazing record. It's uh, just that is it is it uh, maybe not as great as maybe Kerrang would say, or uh, or is the sound maybe in one of Birch's not best moments? We got to find out. We probably have to listen. We have to listen. Yeah. I think the that uh, okay. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is a fantastic album. Like you said, I, and I think we would agree on which three songs are good and which three songs aren't that good. But I think the problem, quote unquote, with the album is that it has a song like Stargazer. And that is a song which is so strong. It's so strong. It's like a sun. Yeah. So it just sort of takes everything else out. Yeah. That you listen to the album and you remember a song like Stargazer and you go, wow. What was that? That was amazing. Because, I mean, you have Stargazer and A Light in the Black ending the album. And then you just forget about the other songs. Running with the Wolves. uh, Yeah. Which is a pretty cool song, though. Do You Close Your Eyes. Do You Close Your Eyes is probably the song that no one really wished for. No. And then um, Starstruck is kind of silly. And they also, like I was going to say that earlier when we talked about Still I'm Sad, that Rainbow had this very strange way of putting together um, tour set lists. Mm -hmm. So Starstruck would always be there. And pretty much none of the others. Uh, And uh, Richie had this thing, like he he liked to play 20-minute versions of uh, songs that he always played. Mm -hmm. Like he he didn't look at, uh, at the rock show in a way that uh, contemporary or even maybe contemporary artists then looked at it. It's, it's more like a, a blues or jam session or jazz even. Like you have this long and then you get back to the theme at the end. And for some reason, Starstruck was something he liked to, to pull live. And I think it's not the greatest track of his at all. We got the number of the beast with Hello Be the Name. Uh, we got uh, our maiden self-titled with Phantom of the Opera. But those records have other songs that are such strong cornerstones that uh, the records don't go lopsided, right? Mm. listening now well we are listening now to stargazer and i try to to understand what you don't really like about the sound here and if i suggest to you would you say that when you listen to it is it the quite harsh top kit the the symbols oh yeah that could be a factor definitely because it's a lot of symbols yeah 
well, I can think that's cool sometimes. Um, like a lot of modern metal, met, modern metal production, they squeeze them down a bit too much. Too much. Yeah. So I can dig that, and I, I love Cozy Powell, but I think it's it has to do with a lot of things being, you know, Martin Birch is normally in the mid register, Maiden is in the mid register as well to a large extent, but I think this particular soundscape is too focused on the mid. I would have needed a little bit more sub bass. Mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit more breath. But I mean, listening now, it sounds pretty killer. <laughs> sounds pretty awesome. For you, all you nerds out there, this is the version called uh, the New York mix. Okay. There are uh, LA mix and New York mix. And this version is the from the, uh, from the deluxe uh, CD. So uh, Ronnie James Dio gave this album a bit of flack. It was like the first record, that was my rainbow, and this was just too much show off. Uh, but I think he was maybe just bitter or something. Maybe so. I, I think at least he himself did Stargazer yeah. quite regularly. Yeah. yeah. And in that interview, which was in the 90s or something, he was like, yeah, the second part of the album is just show off, it's just solo upon solo, which is not even true. And it's a very unique song, right? All those orchestral kind of, um, you know, you could see this um, conductor. You can see a conductor like, ba, 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 and then turn around. Uh, cool synthesizers again. Yeah. Talking about the Martin production, he did sometimes add a bit of flanger like he did here on, on drums. There are a few um, examples of this throughout his career. Yeah. But I mean, going if you talk about studio tricks, trickery... Not, not too many, no. Not too many, but the, the Flanger thing is one of those few things he sometimes went for. I remember John Lord saying in um, the classic albums for uh, Machine Head that the only studio trickery on that record are the stacked vocals in the beginning of Highway Star. Yeah, and the rest of it is pretty much a rock band live. Stolen by a um, Japanese composer for one of my favorite video games. Okay. That, that actually, that oh, 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 he used it as a theme song for the evil corporation in Final Fantasy VII, Shinra. If you tell me, I believe you. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> I think we've got at least one listener that is shares this. I like. That's very seventies. 
Uh, I will say that, okay, if I'm saying that it's not his best sounding, I'm being um, extra, like, too critical, basically, because we're doing a Martin Burr special. It's a great sounding record. But mm, I don't think it's in his top 10 um, engineering or productions. But again, that comes back to, like, he, he's just mirroring or capturing the band, right? And that's how they sounded at this time. But I think uh, Long Live Rock and Roll uh, sounds much better. Yes. So and perhaps it's a better record as well. I think that would be my kind of answer is that I actually think and now when I did my research listening to all these albums more concentrated trying to think of what I actually heard I think I came to the conclusion that I think Long Live Rock and Roll is the best of these three Dio Rainbow mm-hmm. albums. I might agree. Uh, let's, before we go there, this isn't a bit of Tarot Woman because I think that's uh, probably the best sounding song on Rising. I heard a tidbit about the production here. Uh, I think for, yeah, from the keyboard player himself. He said that uh, Birch wanted this part um, dubbed, so he had to play. Um, he had to play the same keyboard twice, and there's no click or anything. And no reference. So he said that was the hardest thing for him to do on this entire record, was to dub himself here. And it's very well done. I can't even... It sounds like one nice sounding. Synthesizer needs to be mentioned, I think. Well, I have mentioned it, but it should be mentioned. Uh, I think it's a big part of the sound. Synths were very cool also in the 70s. Like, there was none of those cheesy, corny synthesizers in that way. They were all just cool. We're just the cool synthesizers. Cool. Yeah, just yeah. cool. Like um, Cosmonaut. <laughs> There's no DX7s <laughs> of right. the 80s. Yeah, right. Call back to a Number of the Beast episode. Tarot Woman is a very cool track too. The rhythmic profiles of all the six songs are different, I think I now realized. Yeah, Which is a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, to be really blunt, I think the, the three songs we mentioned that isn't that good are very kind of pedestrian. And I and I and I, I, I know. I can dig running with the wolves. Uh, I can dig it, you know, as an uh, album track, a mid track. Yeah. But if it would have been the only one, yeah. You know, it replace Starstruck and do, do you close your eyes? Yeah. Even the title is terrible. Uh, so if those were replaced, uh, I could have been very fine with uh, running with the wolves as a sort of you know bread and butter type track. Yeah. Or, you know, so, but yeah, that's um, that's the songs he had, I guess. It's, it's also that's something that's different these days that you don't just go in and record six songs and, and yeah, this is the record. No one does that. No. And like you said, they, they record this album, go on tour and really don't play anything no, of it. No. It's just... Well, like they should have played uh, our last example there, Tara Woman. Should have been played. Marvin A to Z says... Rising is not fantastic. Not fantastic. Not fantastic. (laughs) Hot take. Hot take. Hot take. Clickbait. (laughs) Yeah, that's the title. So uh, starting to record Long Live Rock and Roll was actually the same band as recorded Rising. 
I don't think Jimmy Bain was doing any bass though. I think Richie actually played bass for almost half of the tracks. Yeah, he plays bass on three songs, I think. Uh, something. Yeah, and he some plays very good bass too, actually. I uh, I couldn't tell. Very cool bass. Yeah. And, uh, the fact that you couldn't tell is a, probably a good thing. Yeah. Having had, had those great bass players before bass. Absolutely. Bassists. I think he picked up the bass now and then in Deep Purple as well for like jamming purposes. Yeah. Um, great bass player. Yeah. They recorded the album in France, not in uh, Germany, in a studio called Chateau de Orville. Sounds like And France. I apologize to all French-speaking people listening to this podcast. There are some, actually. Yeah, I will say it again. Chateau de Orville. De Orville. No, I can't do it either. <laughs> Cannot. I, I imagine that I can sound very much like the French language, but it's probably an utter disgrace uh, to the language. Martin uh, came back to that studio recording Assault Attack uh, in 82. In 82. Um, quite a bit later. Quite a bit later. Has he been working in France anything more than that? Uh, because Kevin Shirley did a few maiden albums in yeah. France, right? Uh, what was that studio? Willem Tell or something? Mm. Um, like uh, Brain New World and uh, Book of Souls and also Senjutsu, I think, were all done in France. They like to record in France. Um, would you like to record in France? I, I think it could be all right. Nice food. If a record label would pay, actually pay me to go to an actual studio anywhere in the world, I would say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even France. Örebro. <laughs> Even Örebro. Even Örebro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a luxury to just go somewhere and only have to think about recording an album. Do you know if um, Rainbow, we probably don't know this, but I got curious now, would be the kind of band that brought the full songs into the studio or more of the uh, spine of the songs or like um, sketches and then have them fleshed out in the studio? I think that they were pretty well rehearsed going into the studio. Right, yeah, that was uh, basically the way to do yeah. things back then. Like you couldn't just arrive and start copy-pasting. Yeah. But I think Birch could be a good assistance if you have incomplete songs. I think he has that kind of uh, full scope uh, musicality. Yeah. He seems uh, to be a very good musician as well. Yeah. Um, like we heard a bit of his guitar in the early yeah. bits of this series. Yeah. And um, you know, just and he's recorded backing vocals for yeah. for albums too. And you kind of need to be, I think, to be a good sound engineer. Uh, kind of. Mm -hmm. You don't have to master the instruments, but you should. Some be somewhat able to control them at some level, I think. Mm -hmm. There are exceptions, but uh, they are not my biggest favorites, like Rick Rubin, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he did a, like a couple of super strong productions mm -hmm. and then a lot of nonsense. Yeah. So he probably should have thought himself a bit of drums or guitar or something. Maybe he was just lucky. Maybe. Or just and just <laughs> happened to get a name. <laughs> a chilled out guy. No, I think what he did in, in hip hop was probably how he got big. Because, he, yeah. So, Long Live Rock and Roll uh, was released in 78. And was, of course, to be the last album with uh, Ronnie, yes. James, Dio. And it was also to be the last album with uh, Cozy Powell. Yeah, uh, and on that uh, note, was Jimmy Bain on a song or two on this? No, no, it, uh, Bob Daisley is playing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is Bob it, Daisley on it? It's, uh, it's Richie and Bob Daisley. Oh, Bob Daisley, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. Ingvi Malmsteen, The Odyssey, the couple of tracks that Ingvi couldn't give the right punch to the bass, in comes Bob Daisley. Uh, he's some sort of... Uh, Gary Moore, yeah. he's Stadion 87. Mm, Bob, Bob Daisley. Daisley. 
actually, I have to say that too. There's a lot of these dumb little detours, but uh, when Gary Moore introduces Bob Daisley on that, uh, it's in the East Stadion, like is I Stadion in, um, here in Stockholm in 87, great gig, and he introduces Bob Daisley, and Bob Daisley is doing this kind of uh, um, like Royal Air Force salute, like this. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like he looks like it's such a complete pro. <laughs> He's really good too. The, you have you have heard that right? This eighty-seven concert video. I think yeah, I think I have, but uh, it's incredibly good. Actually, I'm not a huge Gary Moore fan. Mm-hmm. Neither am I, but he's he's got stuff. Yeah, as a guitar player, he's uh, he's amazing. Yeah, top three. Yeah. It's Schenker, Blackmore, and him for me. Yeah, but Uli, Uli Roth as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man. We're not making lists now. Um, um, yeah, so... Um, and... Uh, 78. 78. I, I keep getting a bit surprised there. 78 always sounds late to me yeah. for that record. It feels like it's from 76. But, but I mean, yeah. 78 is so close to Iron Maiden's... Kill, uh, Kill the King was recorded on the On Stage album, yeah. which was recorded... Back in 76, yeah. put out in 77. And it's a bit like the, the album song. Uh, it, uh, if I recall, it's a slightly more chaotic, maybe a bit faster, the live version. They tend to be, right? Yeah, a bit. Um, great song, Kill yeah, the King. It's a great song. But uh, Talking about metal as well. Yeah, talking about, yeah, for, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but what I'd like to do now mm-hmm. is to... Like uh, we sort of hinted it in the beginning of this pod mm-hmm. that uh, we are now going to make a comparison on a rough mix, which is a mix made mid-recording yeah. as a sort of listening thing for yeah. for the uh, the like members the of the band. The equivalent of a, today what would be a bounce or an exported yeah. wave or something. Yeah, and uh, we're going to listen to first a rough mix of Lady of the Lake. Excellent song. Are these Reed or um, Mellotron again? Or Mix? I think it's Mellotron. Yeah, this groove is good. And here you can hear what I believe is a much better sound than Rising. It's a similar sound, but it's better rounded. Yeah, and this is a rough mix. So this isn't the final. Yeah, sounds perfect to me. Yeah. These, these are new to me. I didn't know these existed. So it's an interesting thing to go through. Great riff. And I mean, if you really pay attention to this, which is much easier when I'm not talking to you, listening to it, wow, it's uh, you can hear this a bit of tape hiss. To, to this version, which is that it probably comes from a cassette, a tape. And here's a little foreshadowing to a fear rainbow as well. Yeah. But it still has like... But the verse groove is really like great and kind of nasty. And then with the tambourine, yeah. the faint tambourine. And the wee wee wee. Yeah, it's such a great production on this one. So this is the rough mix. I keep forgetting to this. It sounds complete. So the intro is gone. Right. I think listening to this, you can hear that the drum sound is a bit more 
richer. The bass is also a bit richer. It's even one step further away from rising. Yeah. Um, in the same direction. Yeah. Same yeah absolutely. Direction. But I mean, to me, the rough mix, and I think that's what you're getting at, sounded as good, basic as good. But it's the same takes in these two, or have they overdubbed something? I think there are... The sounded slightly different. And I think the vocals is... Uh, maybe he did another. Well, Dio never did a bad take, I think. So this is a, a mix made in, the, in like the summer, and they finished off the album in by December. Of, se of 77. Groove. I'm stuck on this groove now, it's just a, such a good... And as far as I know, they, they never did this song live. <laughs> it's just a throwaway track. Yeah, well, how he made his set list is just a weird thing. Cozy Powell, even better here than on Rising, I yeah. think. Groovier, a bit groovier. too little on this track it's good that you brought it out what a good song it is it's it's great i think this is my yeah kill the king is it's a fantastic song the snake charmer solo of course and uh gates of babylon is perhaps one of my top 20 songs extremely strong and again a cornerstone of what's always been metal for me is that kind of eastern flavor whatever you want to call it uh, and this must have been some of the earlier examples of that. Yeah. I don't think Sabbath did that much. No, not really. No. Sabbath had a bit of the Andalusian touch, though. They had the Spanish touch in, like, NIB, for example. Yeah, and uh, you have uh, early Scorpions with uh, Uli. Yeah, Sales of Caron, obviously. It has a bit of classical... That's a strong song, too. Yeah. Oof. So, is there anything else you'd like us to highlight? Um, yeah, probably Kill the King, actually. But it could be any track of this. Uh, I mean, also, Gates of Babylon is interesting production-wise with the orchestra. But, I mean, this... Again, talking, like I said, talking about metal, this lick or riff, uh, like a high-pitch riff, whatever you want to call it, is, uh, how cool is it? Well, the answer is maximum cool. <laughs> you know? And the correct answer? Maximum cool. And the very nice beat, you know, that is also... Like, we know you're listening, Maiden fans. It's a very Maiden beat. You know, like uh, Man on the Edge or something like that. This kind of action-packed... It's like a slower D-beat. It's a hardcore punk beat. Yeah, Janik, I think I've heard... A few Richard Blackmore songs. Yeah, I think he leaks this. Yeah. Also, I have to give it to Cozy Powell. Like, the way his bass drum sounds, it's so far away from the kind of typewriter trigger. Yeah. It sounds like he's wearing, like, huge boots. And, like, he's kicking... His knee is up at his chin before he kicks. 
yeah. moves so much air. Well captured by Birch. Uh, it's always been good with the kick drums, I think. This is really heavy. But talking about production yeah. and sounds, this song. Such a good song. It's really good. And, and we talked it, about this in, in earlier episodes of our Marvin A to Z series. That uh, when it comes to, to strings and to use uh, acoustic instruments, mm-hmm. he's really, really good uh, doing that. And we get soft deal. She's been gone since yesterday. Oh, I didn't care. And a flute. Yep. Never cared. And if you're talking about production, this could have been in the hands of the wrong guy. And uh, could have been like an overblown. Yeah, like cheesy. Could have gone che- cheesy. Yeah. yeah. But now it's just. Uh, it could have gone. Uh, uh, Blackmore's Night. That could have happened. They actually played this song, I think. Because this is the closest you get to that, but this is uh, a lot better. And you have the strings here too? Yes. No Mellotron now, right? It's no. just strings and flute. The real stuff. The real stuff. Dio is just. Uh, you know, just setting a standard that could never be uh, matched. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. It's a Goosebump type song, it's a great track, and uh, is, is the ballad, is that part of hard rock for you? For me, it is I, part I w- of hard rock. Yeah, I would say it, always it is. has been. Yeah. This is great. And I was going to ask you already on Kill the King, but it goes yeah. for this track too. Yeah. It's not that many tracks. Uh, what I can hear, like, if I start to like make a, imagine a, a, a Cubase project, yeah. which of course is not what he worked in, it's not more than 16, I don't think. Which is very little today. There are, I think, at least three vocals. Yeah. Uh, two guitars. Two guitars. So that's five at least. Mm-hmm. We have the flute, which is one. We have strings, which I guess you could call it a stereo. Yeah, a stereo. Yeah. So that's uh, three more. Uh, three more. That's eight. No bass in this song. I don't think. No. Which is a good call. You don't need a bass in this track. And now it's another guitar here, so that makes one more. That's nine. 
And now it's a recorder, not flute. Right. So it's another instrument. Well, couldn't share a track, but yeah. Yeah. I would say he keeps stays within 16. Yeah. For sure, on this record. Maybe he even worked with an 8-track, I don't know. Yeah. Could have been. This is just great. Yeah, very good. Do we have any clue, actually, who arranged this? The, the, the arrangement for the flute and the strings? I think we could Google it. Probably, yeah. Maybe we should, because it's, it's pretty high level. They've taken down the fear And all the lies have died somehow Or were they ever there? No signs of mystery This the first time, Rainbow Eyes. I got this album quite late. I must have been in my twenties at least. Well, it was my first Rainbow vinyl, was this? But it was in my most recent phase of buying vinyl. I can give you the names. You have Otmar Machan on viola. Karl-Heinz Fate on cello. You have Rudi Rizavi. Also Rizavi. I think actually these it are... Sounds like German guys. Uh, yeah, I think the... Uh, the uh, the strings and that are recorded in, uh, in Germany. Yes, it is. Do they have like a conductor or a, a orchestra, orchestral leader or arranger? What I can see here is only Bavarian string ensemble conducted by Rainer Pitch on Gate of Babylon, okay. not, not uh, for uh, Rainbow so Eyes. That's interesting. It could be uh, that Martin Birch oversaw it. Classical instruments recording engineer Max Hecke. Mm, Max Hecke. Max Hecker oversaw it then. It's a great arrangement. It's up there with uh, like the George Martin uh, classic arrangement for the Beatles tracks. It's not super easy to, to put it together. A lot of notes and you know. So my friend, should we continue? We should continue. Have we said everything we like to say about Rainbow? I think we could talk about it for ages, like you said about our episode on Hello Be The Name. It was long, but it we could have kept talking about it. Yeah. And I think uh, it's a, this is a, also a legendary record, but it's a fantastic record. I yeah. think I dare say uh, that uh, Long Live Rock and Roll is a fantastic record. Yeah. An all-time uh, top album. Maybe even Long Live Rock and Roll, the album is overshadowed by Stargaze as a song. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, no, I think well, so. You got Gaze of Babylon, yeah, of course. Yeah. That's a standout track on this record. But yeah. I always felt like... Uh, you know, I've seen polls like, what's your favorite track on uh, uh, Long Live Rock and Roll? And why is it Gates of Babylon? Mm. That kind of, you know, mm. uh, 
that kind of way of looking at it. But for me, it was never like um, that track was the one on the on this record. Uh, but it's probably the one. But you know, it's uh, there's so many good songs on it uh, of different kinds again. And I think uh, that's something I noticed today as we're you know conducting this session that uh, a pretty good variation of um, tempos and rhythm feels on these records, which is a cool thing. Much more than in Deep Purple, for sure. We, we already discussed sort of what happened after this. Uh, did we? We did. Uh, as White Snake and that? <laughs> White Snake. Yeah. So they toured this album, and then uh, Ronnie James Dio got sacked, left, depending on who you ask. Yeah, it's that um, famous. Um rift between him and Richie where Richie wanted to make songs about uh, relationships and uh, mm. love yeah. and uh, Ronnie wanted to keep doing that cool fantasy thing yeah. that of course was the better choice I would say even though I like you know I like the JLT era uh, Rainbow albums I have not listened to Bent Out of Shape so I don't know about that the the, the uh, Graham Bonnet the Bonnet one was the first one I bought um, outside of the Dio uh, catalog which is also the first one released after it and it's a very cool album but uh, my favorite is um, Straight Between the Eyes which is not of course Birch uh, Roger Glover I think yeah, yeah. Uh, again that funny thing about him getting hired after getting sacked by the same guy yeah you know? enigmatic and uh, I don't know about uh, Down to Earth that's probably Roger Glover too yeah I think. So now I'm thinking aloud here. Yes. Are we to talk about a few miscellaneous stuff he did during this period? I think so. Because then we should address a quite unusual uh, album in the Martin Birch discography by the name of Wayne County. Wayne County and the Electric Chairs. As far as I understand an American band that happened to record an album by the name of Storm the Gates of Heaven which came out in 78 mm -hmm. and um, we can just put this on this is the first song the title track of the album Storm the Gates of Heaven yeah and what are we listening to Proto black metal, <laughs> kinda, because he's he's uh, adding the minor chords on top of each other, or minor uh, not chords but um, intervals. Uh, you know, it won't sound anything like that, dear listener. <laughs> and even a scary door. Yeah. Played this to me before, I think. Yeah, I, I don't did. remember anything of this. Wayne County was a crossdresser, okay. a transvestite, uh, and it was part of the, his stage persona, being this uh, provocative. Like, um, and he was an American artist, hmm. uh, like Eddie Izzard, who is not an American artist. He's British. <laughs> yeah, I know, Comedian. but I understand yeah. what you're getting at. But <laughs> anyway, well, maybe a pretty weak connection there, but. Okay, yeah. the, the polka circus uh, avant-garde or yeah. uh, burlesque kind of sound. So it's 
So, so what we're listening at, this album I would say is quite ambitious. It's some sort of early punk-ish kind of music, yeah. but with an Alice Cooper band sort of twist to it. And the production is also in that sort of ambitious ve- vein of, yeah. uh, of uh, Alice Cooper. From our early, from our back catalogue in Marvin A to Z, I think this reminds me a bit of, uh, uh, was it Beggar's Opera? Beggar's Opera? Yeah, but much better. Yeah. Uh, it's a similar kind of attacking angle. And also it reminds me of Ghost a little bit. Both the, the circus parts and the rocking parts, uh, and of course Ghost, Alice Cooper, you know, it's, uh, it's a tight tie right there. But it was a song like Secular Haze or something from uh, their second album, it has a bit of this. One of the things that makes this recording kind of unique in its discography is also that the band weren't that pleased with the outcome of the recording. And I'm quoting now an interview with one of the members. Martin exerted a great deal of creative control over the album. It wasn't bad, but wasn't the chairs, as in the electric chairs, the band, we wanted it to be. And Actually, this is one of the few kind of negative, well, it's a negative comment yeah. uh, about his work or work ethic or... I will go ahead and assume he had other issues and blame them on Martin Birch. But that's me, a Martin Birch fanboy, saying that. Yeah, uh, of course I had to listen to other recordings by the band from this era. And uh, uh, the, other, the other recordings are much rougher. Yeah, that, that much, would, be, would have been my guess that yeah. maybe he wanted something rougher. Yeah, because much more punk. very high def, very high yeah. HD, really. Yeah. But I think it's very fitting. I think the music would have been pretty rough if it had a rough sound. Yeah. I don't think it would have added to the experience much uh, because there's quite a few things happening. It's nice that it's clean. Absolutely. I think it's a, one of the better mixes we've heard so far. It's a great mix. And... Uh, Here's another song of the album called Speed Demon. So is it a speed demon? Let's find out. Cool title. Yeah. There's another song called Man Enough to Be a Woman. That's also a cool title. That's also a cool title. Or a cross-dresser. Yeah, it is a cool title. <laughs> Trying thought-provoking. Yeah. Okay, so maybe Martin... Um, maybe he had... Um, maybe exercised control in um, you know how the components sound because they sound kind of Martin Birchy the drums yeah but who wouldn't love that you know apparently yeah Wayne County and the electric chair I actually like his vocals there's kind of a you know, snotty uh, pre-Johnny Rotten yeah thingy
on the Gillen uh, Magic record. Let's be demon. Oh. What do you think about this? You haven't uh, shared I, your opinions. I, uh, I, okay, let's be fair. I think it's interesting. In it's an interesting album uh, in the uh, Martin Birch discography, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say that I think it's a great album because uh, I don't. I, the, the songs are often a bit too repetitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it's kind of it's varied in styles, it's not like everything sounds like this one. Uh, but I mean, it's just mm, I don't know. It doesn't really do it for me. So I, I probably won't be going back to it, listening to it more. Like I w- probably will do with Toad, that we talked mm, okay. in the first episode, which I think was perhaps not great, but interesting and rocking mm. and cool and fun oh, and much more like. Um much more rooted than this this is out in the yeah yeah i'm not comparing the yeah the bands just comparing my interest uh, but i like uh, by the way the song is called demon driver on gillen's magic so speed demon driver uh, can you just play the intro from ghost secular haze i just want to hear if i'm um, completely out there or not it goes as you can probably tell uh, we got um Matthias DJing in this episode. Yeah, well, okay. Not super alike, but you can probably get what I'm getting at. I was very disappointed when this track came out, I remember. I like it more now. It's okay. I think it's great. You like Infestation? I think uh, Meloa is the best one, actually. Meloa is that I was not disappointed with. I love that record when it came out. But I gotta be boring and say that uh, the first record is the best. No. Ritual, Satan Prayer, Prime Mover, Conclave Condio, strong songs. He also did, uh, let's continue with the Martin Birch discography. It's not Ghost. Not Ghost. And uh, let's listen to another album he did in this area. We, ha- we listened to Wayne County and Elect. He also did uh, Bernie Marston. Mm. Who we remember right. from Whitesnake, of right. course. Right. And uh, it's from an album he recorded with him called About Time. And we're going for a little um, treasure hunt here. And About Time 2, actually. We're going for a riff hunt. So Yes, we, we are. That, like, keep your um, riff ears. Prick your ears up. Keep them peeled. This is Bernie Marston. It doesn't really sound like Whitesnake at all. So there's a riff in the song that you've all heard. Yeah. But will you hear it now? Will you hear it now? <laughs> so this is uh, some sort of jazz rock. Fusion. Yeah. yeah. Jazz rock. Are you into this kind of stuff at all? No. I would say I kind of... Yeah. Do you like uh, Cozy Powell's uh, solo records? That was the one I had uh, with me. Because uh, uh, actually, I, I recall me liking it uh, a lot more than you, so it has to be mentioned. But uh, Marston first, then we do that. Ma- Martin recorded uh, "Over the Top" from '79, which the is the I, I got it here yeah. in my vinyl shelf. Yeah, we're recording in my home actually today, first time since ages.
take my life, but I take yours too. Probably not that right. Maybe I'm reading a bit much into it, but when I first heard this song, it was like, that's the trooper. It is that riff. Yeah. It's not really the center stone of the song trooper, though. It's just a badass riff into outro. Yeah. Yeah. And the album is... It's not all instrumental. There's a few... Bernie Mawson does a bit of vocals on this album, too. So, that was Bernie Marston. The next album we're going to talk about and listen to is Roger Glover's solo album from 78 also. Uh, it's an album called Elements. And Martin has a uh, uh, producer co-producing with Roger himself, of course. He also has a... Uh, guitar and uh, rhythm guitar and backing vocals credits Mm -hmm. and I have discovered but it depends on the source so I don't really know this for sure that he has a co-writing credit for the two final cuts of the album too but I like I said some of the sources I've seen online says it's just Roger Glover everything Uh, but another source says that Martin Birch has a co-writing Crispy Hyatt. And Sex. it's uh, Simon Phillips on drums here. Oh, one of the best. And this is the second, uh, well, you can say songs or cuts or parts. Uh, Bits. The Bits. next ring of fire is. Simon Phillips, pretty great drumming and cymbaling. Yeah. First and foremost, almost his cymbal work is like I think Greg would say something like um, crispy fried bacon.
All the sax leads are really good. Let's jump ahead a bit and see. Sure. The whole percussion part. And that really odd. Heist movie to it, you know? <laughs> Absolute, absolutely, heist movie. You can see someone climbing a wall with sweat running. And then you get like this underground uh, escape pad. <laughs> Very elaborate. Elaborate bank robbery going on. Okay, I so. Could, I could listen to this mm -hmm. any day. Mm -hmm. If I find this on vinyl somewhere, I will, I will buy this, yeah. I can say. But as, like I say, it's it's uh, it's not two, on Spotify. If I find two vinyl, I'll buy one for me and one for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's kind of you. So let's listen to the final track called Finale. And for this song or part, uh, apparently, according to some sources, Martin Birch has a co-writing credit. You can really tell that Glover used this to do something different. But it's quite interesting, at least to me, that going into this project, Roger Glover, a producer himself, Here we have female vocals. This is still an element. Yes, this is the final cut finale. I didn't know they have vocals on it. Oh, it does. There are vocals on. It's a pretty cool riff too. The, the and, appa and apparently we have our friend Martin doing background vo vocals as well. And this is, this is the end. What I w was going to say is that uh, going into this project, uh, Martin Birch was sort of a co-writer with Roger. Uh, and I guess... Uh, it's quite ambitious. It's with orchestra, it's yeah. strings, it's, there are loads of instruments, loads of musicians that Roger Glover needed the assistance, help. Hel like we mentioned scene after scene, obviously it's uh, Simon Phillips on that one too. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, you're right actually, because he did produce uh, Butterfly Ball himself. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure he did uh, knob twistings and similar for that one. Uh, of course, ahead of this, and uh, Sin After Sin was, as you said, also ahead of this. I th still think it's 77, but I'm not going to look it up. It's probably 76. You're probably right. Gamal Elst. <laughs> <laughs> so, not, yeah, you were born, actually, then. You were. 
not, not to rub it. <laughs> I was born back then, so yeah, you yeah. should believe me. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what did you say? Not yet impressive, but very promising. <laughs> <laughs> very promising. <laughs> promising young lad. So, um, actually, this, uh, this was a bit uh, of a surprise. I've heard this record before. Um, it's been covered by the constantly mentioned Deep Purple podcast. So I got introduced via them. Uh, but uh, this kind of put it in a new light. Maybe you picked uh, good song picks there. Because um, I was intrigued to listen to more elements after hearing those bits. Good, you know, cool stuff. Highest soundtracks. I want to hear one song from the Cozy record, but I'm also trying to recall the title of it. It's over the top. Pretty odd record in most ways. It's a solo record by a drummer, but it's not like a Billy Cobham rhythm feast or anything. He's playing pretty straight beats. Uh, and then there's a ton of synthesizers, I think courtesy of uh, Don Airy, who is, of course, the current keyboardist in Deep Purple. Uh, he's pretty much the lead. It's a cracking cover, the sleeve. <laughs> Uh, he's yeah, jumping uh, his drum kit with a motorcycle. Daredeviling. Yeah, about. that's. I mean, that's that is over the top. It is over the top. Yeah, and, uh, it's written in one of my favorite. Uh, Check the, the the writing credits for theme one. Theme one, George Martin. George Martin. Is it the same George Martin? Yeah, it is George Martin, the Iron Maiden. No. no, the Beatles, the Beatles, <laughs> the Beatles version of Martin Birch. <laughs> exactly. We've been here a while now, excuse me. Yes. This is the first time with vinyl on the podcast. This is a song you were thinking about. Yeah. yeah. I would say this is quite atypical for the album. Maybe it is, uh, but I've listened to it as a full album. But it's this, this is the song I just kind of you know, wanted to hear for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. It's, like we said, it's a George Martin song, but it was made f- famous or known by Fanagraph Generator. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is central to the maiden topic. Yeah, and Bruce Dickinson and, yeah. So yeah, I own this album on, on, on the vinyl record and yeah. uh, I play it sometimes. Uh, but I think the reason I can dig it is because it reminds me of uh, old video game music like yeah. Sonic There's a lot of Sonic the Hedgehog type yeah. sound yeah. and I know we got at least one listener yeah. that also raised upon the Sonic the Hedgehog uh, soundtrack alpha yeah. that will recognize this uh, the synthesizers and stuff yeah. and, you know Don, Don Airy playing the keyboards here 
Yes. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of the lead role of the record. Really. Yeah, and uh, and Bernie Marston doing guitar. Oh, Bernie Marston. Yeah. And again, like it's a bit rare because it's a drummer's record, solo record, but he's just playing as if he was in a band. Mm -hmm. He's not like the drums are not taking over as lead or anything. I mean, they're very audible in the mix, but it's normal drumming. Yeah, and Jack Bruce is playing the bass. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. You know, it's just like I mean, it's a silly sounding record but in a for me very i guess i would say cozy way actually i thought of cozy before i realized it was a word pun it also sounds cozy to me so listening to cozy powell recorded by martin birch uh, year of release 78 uh 79 i think and this had heavy disco flavors yeah on it. 79 very disco and maybe it's Time for us to sign off. Could be. Could be. Could be. So today, in this episode four of the uh, Martin Birch Summer Special, we have talked about um, Rainbow. We've talked about um, Over the Top, Cozy Powell. Um, Bernie Marston was mentioned. Yeah. And um, of course... Roger Wat Waters. Roger Waters. No. Roger Glover. Roger Glover. And also um, the... Um, that circus music experimental avant-garde Wayne Burlesque. County and the Electric Chairs it's a pretty pretty cool band name actually. Mm -hmm. yeah uh, this was an interesting mix mm -hmm. like uh, so far you get a pretty different mix uh, in all episodes maybe the first two had a, some similarities there mm -hmm. you had the thread of uh, Fleetwood Mac Mm -hmm. uh, which I guess is, is, you know, is it Fleetwood Mac, Deep Purple, Iron Maiden? Could you say that's his three big... I think Whitesnake gets mentioned also. I, I mean, of course, Purple when he passed away, uh, he was presented as the producer of Deep Purple, Iron Maiden, Whitesnake. Black Sabbath was also mentioned, which is going to be our next episode. Right, right. Yeah. So stay tuned. Before we made that uh, very good segue, I was going to say, by process of elimination, you can, you know, what's the name that's not yet mentioned and not yet listened to is Black Sabbath. We're looking forward to that. Yeah. And I would even go so far to s and claim that the Dio albums is my favorite Black Sabbath. Hmm. You got Greg with and you. then the, I I don't need to hear them, but I know there are people going. Well, then you're not really a Black Sabbath fan, are yeah, you? That's but uh, up yours. Up It's the album says Black Sabbath, and that's the Black Sabbath I enjoy the most. Yeah. But let's save that discussion first. That bit of audio. So let's sign off uh, with the very silly sign off that we do here. Up the birches. Has called from the north. Marvin, A to Z, in it.